So the answer to the question of the morning is Snowball Viburnum. Snowball Viburnum. Oh, what smells so good What outside? smells so great <laughs> at the door? Small, snowball Viburnum. So if you good are wondering and wanting to go ahead and get one of those, that's the name. I, last year, they were so fragrant and wonderful, and I was here alone with you I was going, say, we were the oh, only ones that were able to enjoy man, it. Man, missed out on a year, but we got it back again this yeah. year and so glad for it. So great to have you with us this morning, whether in the room or or online today. We have, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about here at the beginning, including the fact that because it is the first Sunday of May, we are a month away from the first Sunday of June. And the first Sunday of June is... Going to be intense. <laughs> <laughs> Green Lake! Yes. Oh, my word. It's, it's only a month away. I Crazy, crazy, <laughs> crazy. So, I, I, yeah, I'm exactly. I'm just kind of, I'm stirring inside this morning, just thinking of all the things that have to get done this month in order for that experience to be the very best. But I know, I know yesterday some trailers got rented and drivers were figured out and those pieces are coming together. So, very exciting. Yeah. Am I correct that today is it? Today is it. So, you have mm. until midnight tonight to get registered. Uh, if you have any questions, please ask. Uh, if money's the reason that, that you can't go, talk to me. Okay, We've, We have had so many unbelievably generous people from Southfield come and say, hey, I, I want to be able to help out in that way. So, uh, so the scholarships are there if needed, and we, just, we want to pack that place with, with workers and singers and all kinds of fun um, for that week. So honestly, Brian, I don't, I don't know that finances are always the reason that people struggle. It's, um, I can't imagine my fifth grader being gone for a week. I was about to say they that. They can't imagine being gone for a week. What, what do we do when, when you got a, sorry, a crying fifth grader or a crying 11th grader? I was going to say, do? sometimes it's the senior. <laughs> sometimes it's the senior. How do you handle it? Because it is, you know, some kids, this is their first away. Yeah. First away or uh, first away, like for this length of time right. or, right. you know, whatever it may be. And I'm just going to tell you, throughout the years, I've been very point blank with some people who say, oh, I'm kind of worried about how they're going to handle being away, you know, I, will they get enough sleep? They're going to be cranky. They're going to be tired. They're going to need mommy. Just like normal? <laughs> Kick them out the door. Yeah. Send them with us. Uh, the, reason, the reason I say that so directly is because we've seen the results. Uh, I will literally never forget Morgan Gearman, uh, the very first time that I met that girl, uh, I literally was shaking, terrified, never wanted to talk to me ever again because I came up, hey, what's up, Morgan? And she's not, she was not that person. Uh, so I scared the daylights out of her. Uh, and it took a full year to, to kind of get warmed up to me. And then it came to Green Lake. She was like, mm -mm, nope, not doing that. And Sherry said, go. Sherry and Greg just kicked her out the door, sent her with us. And it was, it was a really powerful thing. And she turned into one of, uh, I don't know that we have an all-time list of leaders, but she was an all-time great uh, high school leader for us. And it all started with that push. Go. Mm -hmm. You're going mm -hmm. and you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and for others, there are concerns. I think sometimes if a child has a, has a particular health challenge, we take a nurse along. Yeah. 
So we do, and not I didn't go on the interweb and get a nursing degree or something. <laughs> I mean, we take a real we take a real nurse. Along. We have a real live action nurse, and part of the great thing about Green Lake too is that all of their maintenance staff are also first responders. So mm -hmm. not just uh, people that we're bringing, their entire maintenance staff, all first responders, uh, ready to respond if they if they need. Um, and we also have had people worried about how well you know my. My child is on the spectrum, and we're not sure like how they're going to handle all the sensory things. And the first year that we went, I was talking with Dora Kruger last week. Uh, we were trying to number up all the different kids on our first trip that had something, um, something in the works. And it, I think we had six kids the very first trip. So about a third of our kids on the very first trip uh, were on the spectrum or had had um, some. Um, Something, some learning disability or, or things like that, and it, and we made it work. So um, not to say it was the easiest thing, but we we know we're we're trained, we're yeah. we're ready for that, and yeah. we we want them there with us. So let's let's come closer to home. We get done with that, and just a few weeks later, Quest is happening, mm -hmm. and, and and there's a lot, there's already a lot going on with that. I mean, there have been practices going blocking of, of uh, the story that's going to be taking place and everything else. And one of the biggest needs of Quest are these small group guides. Yeah. The people that, that shepherd a little herd of kids from here to there all, all day long. Talk, talk about the importance of that particular role. What's that all about? Well, I can speak to it from what I do with students. So I, when, on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, I present the teach and then I hand my kids off to small group, and I'm very hands-off. I just, whatever conversations happen in small group, that's, that's where they go. And I, it's total trust in the small group leader. And I think that's, that's really where the growth happens. It's nice to, to hear the truth, but then in that small group is where you, you really develop it. You begin to understand it. You chew on it. Uh, you ask questions that you can't ask you know, when somebody's giving a sermon, and that at small, at those small groups at camp are something special because they, they get the, the teaching in such a beautiful way through, throughout these, um, these, these plays and skits that are written by uh, Patrick Rodriguez. And then they, they get the kind of reinforcement at the end of the teach, but then they head off to, to small group to do activities and talk about it. And that's, again, it, you develop a, a, a team. You know, a lot of the small groups even, they'll have like a specific, we're all wearing blue headbands, or we've all got these wristbands, or mm -hmm. we're wearing tie-dye shirts, or whatever it is. Um, it, it's, it becomes like a, a little family for the week, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. part, of that, um, part of that aspect is you can't get in any other way. Right. So it's, it is, uh, it's a really cool opportunity to, if, if you've been wanting to share the gospel with somebody, these kids, these kids want it, they need it. Uh, and those opportunities are available. It's, 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 it's one of the most essential roles of camp. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we have a couple hundred kids just running aimlessly. So <laughs> that role also determines really how many kids we can have at camp. Right. Because we're not going to have a small group of 35. Right. So, I mean, we, you know, that, that's really important. So I know that might not be a role that you're like, oh, man, I'm going to go click sign up right now. I need more information. 
Jerem Ojewoda, second row, right down here. She'd be glad to talk you through it. I hear she has freshly printed $100 bills in her back pocket. <laughs> she will bribe you, do whatever it takes to get you to come be a part of a small group leading. But no, we're, we're excited about that role, so make sure you do that. There were other can, things going on. I'll go. Can I back up one minute? Because I know I'm going to yell that if I don't well, say something. I was something. looking, so go ahead. <laughs> I, <laughs> going back to Green Lake, a little rewind. Um, Speaking to your generosity, thank you so much to those of you who helped uh, in terms of providing scholarships and, and aid for students who need it to be able to go. We are going to be looking for uh, donations in a different way leading up to camp, and uh, part of the way that we're able to keep our costs low is by providing some of our own meals. And so we're going to be doing breakfast on our own rather than going through anybody else. So what we're going to be looking for are as many boxes of Honey Nut Cheerios that we can get. Um, juice pouches, not boxes, but like Capri Sun or the Kool-Aid mixer. I don't even know what they're called. But they, the juice pouches and mini kind bars because we've we found that that combination uh, of things somehow electrifies kids to get going in the morning. And that, uh, so. We're not going to give it away, but that's not all of breakfast. Right. Some other right. cool <laughs> things coming, but, but that, that really helps us to... To get a get a essential hole filled. Yes, there's some other really good stuff coming with breakfast as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you have the opportunity to do something that you've dreamed of all your life. You, yes, you can own your very own island. Are you excited? <laughs> so, what's the payment? You don't have to pay. It's it's free. Okay, a little labor. So you just have to pick weeds. If you pick weeds, you can own your own island. So our parking lot is full of islands. We have gardens around the church. You can go ahead and pick those weeds and then bring your lawn chair and sun and, and enjoy your island. It's yours. And all you need to do is sign up. And we ask you throughout the summer to make sure that when a weed gets about this tall, you get it pulled. We want to keep those nice and clean. It's great for people to pull in and, and see a beautiful place. Works well for families, individuals, small groups, whatever, to get together and do that. Yeah. A lot of people actually do it uh, as they're coming to church or leaving church. They'll go ahead and do a quick weed pick. We keep a, a, a box right outside the door here with buckets in it. You go ahead and put your weeds in there. We have tools for plucking the weeds. And then you bring the weeds back and we go ahead and dispose of them for you. So if that's something that you would enjoy doing or just a way that you're looking to, to contribute in a different way around here, get signed up for an island and we'll get those assigned, I think it said by May, May 23rd. And the only other thing has to do with the, the Dwell app, and I'm actually going to talk about that yeah. uh, toward, the end, toward the end of the message today. So anything else? It's been a while since we've had a chance to just talk our full 10 minutes of announcements between yeah. a musical and baby dedications and all kinds of other stuff. We've not had a chance to just talk through everything that's happening around here. So Yeah, I, I want to point out that uh, Mother's Day is approaching quickly. Just a reminder that Revive that evening, uh, we're going to go from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., so we're going to move up an hour, uh, and moms are invited. So it's uh, going to be really cool uh, to, to have moms there. We've got some special moms games uh, that are planned for that night. So uh, Revive, Mother's Day, 5 to 7, moms are invited. And then we, we are moving into this weird um, graduation transition time from Refuge to Revive and from Big Kids to Refuge. All those details are going to be shared um, closer to that graduation time with our kids. Uh, so in case you've been wondering, you know, how's this going to work? When are they going to move up? What do I have to do? It's all coming uh, within the next couple weeks. Cool. Step up starts this afternoon. Can't wait for that. So this is from 3 to 5. 
It's an opportunity for you to get to know the needs around Southfield, the way that you can join into God's kingdom work through this local church, get to know more about yourself. So that's three weeks of, of, of groups together, but it's the second, then we're taking off Mother's Day, and then the two weeks after that. So uh, you can go ahead and register for that, and if you don't get registered for it, show up. So uh, I got to just show the picture yeah, because it's so pretty. Island. So anyway, that could be your island. All you have to do is pick the weeds. All right. So let's go to Psalm 131. I'll have you go ahead and read it in uh, the English Standard Version, and then we'll head over to the message just like we have each time. A song of a sense of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I, I believe, like often happens, the way that Eugene Peterson words it really brings some tremendous commentary uh, to the passage, so go for it. A song of a sense of David. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be the king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground and I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now and hope always. Thanks, Brian. So I've said it so many times that you may be getting weary of it, but let me say it one more time. Psalms of Ascents were journeying psalms. The people were located all over Israel, and three times a year God wanted them to come home. Come home to Jerusalem, come home to the temple, and they were to come to worship for three different festivals a year. Most Jews only made it to one, but some people, all three, they'd make it to those festivals. And when they went to that particular celebration along the way, they would sing 15 psalms. There would be a leader, and they'd lead them in singing the psalms. And we've worked our way through three-quarters of those psalms now. And what we noticed a couple weeks ago was a little bit of a turn, that we went from psalms that were letting us know what our perspective should be, how we should see the world, how we should view ourselves in light of God and in light of the world, in light of others. So we went from perspective to a reality on the road that when we've been on the journey for a little while, it gets bumpy, it gets rough, we start to have problems. And there are those who are believers who think, well, because I'm a believer, I should never suffer. Because I'm a believer, I should never have pain. Because I'm a Christ follower, I should never have a problem. And the psalmist makes real clear in Psalm 129, Psalm 130, and Psalm 131 that no, the road is bumpy. And you will have hard times. This is normal. It's not necessarily that you've done something wrong. Congratulations, you live in a sin-soaked world. You live in a world that there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of heartache. And we get swept up in a lot of that as well. And what he says is we got to figure out how to head into the suffering head on with a view to God and a view to what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. So we come to Psalm 131. And as we come to it, we come to one of my favorite psalms. It's a psalm that, that I quote nearly every time that I'm involved in a time of prayer with God. Learned it several years ago. It's been almost 10 years ago now. I was going on a series of retreats with other Christian leaders. And, and one of the things that the leader was trying to stress to all of us is that it can be easy to get up, caught up in the, in the church business, in the doing, and all the stuff you've got going, and to avoid taking care of your soul. 
And so this particular psalm says what? I've calmed and quieted my soul. And it was a constant reminder that we had some responsibility not to just keep racing and doing and all that was going on all the time, but actually to have practices in our lives that brought some quieting and some peace to our swirling souls. And so I've become really familiar with it. And it's a psalm that I love. I love a lot. It's a psalm that is attributed to David. David's the writer. And David's talking about some problems in his life. The other two psalms have talked about problems as well. The funny thing is, the problem that David points out is himself. David's the problem in the psalm. And the fact is, sometimes the biggest bump in the road is not something else or someone else. It's us. It's what's going on in our own hearts. It's what's going on in our own lives. And so David talks about ways in which he was the bump in the road and he needed to do something about it. You look at this psalm and it feels a lot like Psalm 130 in that it is very personal. It's, it's personal pronouns, I, me, my, not our, us, we. So it's very personal and we can own that very personally. That's, this is a prayer that God wants us to pray and speak back to him and to really own. So it's a, it's a personal psalm. There's also vulnerability here. David's talking about a time in his life that he wasn't, how do they say it, the best version of himself. He, he had some things going on that, that weren't the greatest. And he's admitting it. In front of all the people, he's admitting it. This is where my heart was. This is where my soul was. It wasn't in the best of places. He's willing to go ahead and, and be vulnerable that way, to call attention to what's happening in his heart. You look at the psalm, and one of the things you see is that it is, it is short and simple. This, there's not some, uh, how do I say it, deep theological secret embedded in these three verses. Okay? This, isn't, this isn't the book of Romans. This isn't Revelation. This is a guy talking about real life and just saying, this is what I've gone through in real life, and, and perhaps you've gone through the same thing as well. So, so it's just a, it's an incredibly practical psalm, a psalm that, that we look at and, and we can see we can see ourselves in there. Even when you look at the vast, last verse, O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore, there's a reflecting back to Psalm 130 where, where we were told again to, to hope in the Lord, Israel. And so we have this tying together with the other psalms that we've already seen. So let's go ahead and, and look at the first line of this psalm and start to break it down. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Now, because we're in the psalms, because the psalms are emotional, you might think that he's saying, God, I'm a little depressed. I'm a little sad right now. My, my heart's not lifted up. My, my heart is downcast. You might think that's what he's saying. But that's not what he's saying. He's not talking about being in kind of a, kind of a melancholic state. No, instead he's saying that at this point, his heart was not experiencing what it had experienced in the past. And what it had experienced in the past was pride. David had a season of pride in his life. We don't know what it was. It doesn't say, it doesn't point back to this particular moment in his life, but he had a moment of pride. He had a moment that he was looking at himself and he was saying, I'm doing okay. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty proud of me. I, I, I'm, I'm doing all right. There was, a, there was a pride in his heart that he realized was causing him trouble in his relationship with God. Kim and I, we, we like to watch cooking shows, whether it is, you know, 
Beat Bobby Flay or Chopped or Great British Bake, whatever it might be. It's fun to watch these shows. And, and it's funny, yesterday we were watching one and I said, what I'd love is one of these shows to not put the artificial, get it done in 20 minutes. Uh, you know, they, they come and they bring a piece of raw meat and say, your meat's not done. Well, no kidding, you only gave me 20 minutes. Come on. But anyway, so uh, it would be nice if they do that one time. But we watch this trend in this show, that in these shows, it's kind of interesting. When a person gets chopped or when they're not the one going up against Bobby Flay, they'll, they'll have that moment on Chopped in particular where they're walking down the hallway, they're walking away, they're talking about how they feel walking away. And more than once a person has said, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really proud of the work I did. I'm really proud that I'm here today. I'm really proud of me. And, and either Kim or I at that point go, what is going on with our world? When did we become people that have to express our pride in ourselves? I mean, I remember a day when it was, it was cool to have your mom or your dad say, I'm really proud of your son. I'm really proud of your daughter. But, but when, when have we come to a point that as 30, 40, and 50-year-old adults, we're walking around and saying, wow, I really admire me. I'm really proud of me. I'm really, I'm something. Isn't this amazing? Look at me. Uh, what, what's going on there? Now, I know some of you, some of you are disagreeing with me right now. This is what I love about what goes on here. You still smile, but you're like, you're, you're just nuts because you don't agree right now. You think that it's important to boost your self-esteem, for one to boost their self-esteem by expressing pride in themselves. Our esteem as Christ followers is found in Jesus. Our esteem as Christ followers is found in our identity in Christ and in God. That's where we get our value. That's where we get our worth. The value of saying, I'm proud of me, is an American 2021 value. And i got to be honest, I'm owning no values from this era when it comes to what's given to us by the world in terms of how we're supposed to live life. David says, I had pride that was filling my heart, and it was a problem. It was a problem, and it needed to be squashed. He goes on to say, my eyes are not raised too high. This was David's way of saying not only that he was proud, but that he was arrogant. Now, some of you think, wait a second, arrogant. I thought arrogant was just a, a synonym for pride. It can be, but it's not. Pride is when I say, wow, I really think I'm special. I really think I'm pulling something off here. Arrogance is when you say, and I'm a heck of a lot better than you. I'm doing better than you. I'm doing better than you. We start comparing ourselves to the crowd and saying, compared to the junk around me, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. And so we do this comparison process of, of pushing ourselves up over other people and saying, look at me. I'm doing all right. This is, this is the fellow who is at the temple, the Pharisee, who is praying, and in pride he's listing before God all the great things he had done, and then he looks over at the tax collector and says, at least I'm not him. That's arrogance. Arrogance is when I look at other people and say, thank God I'm not you. Thank God I'm better than you. So David says, in his heart he had pride and he had arrogance. And they were just, they were dominating his existence. They were the swirl, the constant churn going on in his soul. But he wasn't done. He goes on to say, I do not occupy myself with things too great or marvelous for me. This, doesn't, this isn't saying that David wasn't willing to take on a PhD. It's not saying that he wasn't willing to study something that was a little bit deeper 
No, what, he, what he's saying here really, what he's reflecting on is ambition. It's ambition. He's saying, I, I, I had a season in my life that everything was about achieving and possessing and having more. I had lofty dreams for myself. I had lofty dreams for my life. And I was doing everything I could to climb up the ladder as fast as I could to achieve all of those ambitions. This is David just, just owning it. He's, he's laying his heart bare and saying, this is where I am. I was proud of myself. I was arrogant. I was looking at myself as better than other people. And my life was a constant race to get more, to do more, to be more. I wanted more. And what it led to was a tremendous restlessness in his life. It led to an agitation in his life. That, that he'd lay down at night and it was tough to sleep. Constantly churning, constantly going. He said something had to happen. Something had to change. And so he said, what? He said, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Again, when we go over and look at the way Eugene Peterson says it, it gives us, it gives us another view, a beautiful view. I have cultivated a quiet heart. I've worked on creating quietness within me. Now, when he talks about calming and quieting his soul, he's not simply saying, the rat race was so tough, I decided I needed to go to the Bahamas for two weeks. I just, I just needed to get away. In Southwest, 49 bucks, I can do that. I need to get away. He wasn't simply saying he took a vacation and it calmed him down a little bit. He said he went through the activity of calming and quieting his soul. What, what's he saying here? He's not talking about simply achieving restfulness, but this was in contrast to pride and arrogance and ambition. He said all of those things, pride, arrogance, ambition, had me in this constant achieving race. And I had to come to a place of realizing that my life is about so much more than that. I had to come to a place that I was calmed and quieted inside. Now, he defines calmed and quieted soul. What does, what does a calmed and quieted soul look like? He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. A kind of a, a, a weird way of saying it, a word that we probably don't use very often. Chances are, if you're 15 or below in the room and you hear a weaned child, you're like, what? what? What are you talking about? And perhaps if you're a, you know, a, lactation, a lactation expert or, or you're in the medical field or something like that, you, you raise goats, whatever it may be, you understand the concept of weaned, right? Weaned is that point at which mom is no longer the primary or sole source of nourishment for the child. The point at which the kid says, where are the Cheerios? And they go ahead and they start to eat and enjoy other food. And they start to see mom a little bit differently. They start to see mom not just as someone that, that constantly provides for the primary need of life, but instead they say, I can, I can find that somewhere else. Now, now, having said that, we look at that statement and we wonder what David's saying. Is David saying somehow that we come to a point of independence from God? That we don't need him as much in, anymore? I've, I've, I've weaned myself from my need for God. I've weaned myself from, my, for, from the need for nourishment from God. Clearly, that's not what he's saying. I mean, there, there are tons of other passages where he talks about his, his incredible dependence on God. 
And then again, Eugene Peterson gives us some insight. He says, this is like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a content baby. What's he saying? He's saying there came a shift in my relationship with God, just like there comes a shift in the relationship between mother and child. There's a shift from want and need to contentment and delight. There's a shift from always just saying, I want something, I need something, to I just enjoy being with you. Early on in our walk with God, our prayer life is primarily a list of things we want. We, we make up a prayer list and we check, 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 check. And we, kinda, we bring our to-do list to God of that day. Here are the things that I need you to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's, that's our prayer life. And there comes a point in our prayer life that we start to be weaned, so to speak, where we realize that God is not just the person who's providing for my needs, but God is someone who wants an enjoyable friendship with me. And so there's a shift in the relationship. And this is where the calming and the quieting comes when he's able to just stop seeing God as a means to accomplishing his agenda. God, I've got ambitions. Help me with my ambitions. To God, I just, I enjoy your presence. I delight in your presence. I'm content in your presence. So, you guys. You guys too. Next week's Mother's Day, okay? And, uh, you got to do some shopping, I'm sure you, Amazon, I don't know how you get your gifts, but anyway, got to get your mom a gift. I'm going to give you a gift hint. Moms, plug yours. I'm going to give you the best gift hint possible, okay? Whether you put it in a card or you just say it to her face, to her face might be good, that will lead to more tears. So just, just walk up and say, Mom, here's what, I want to do something different for Mother's Day. I've been saving all my, my, my Scoopy coupons from Culver's. And, and I want to use up my Scoopy coupons on you. I want us to, you, you drive, I'm only 12, you drive. We're going to head over to Culver's, and um, I'm going to leave my phone in the car. And we're going to get ice cream, and you can ask me whatever you want, and we're just going to talk. Now, your mom, you're going to be pitiful. She's going to bawl. She's going to cry. She's going to hug you. She's going to want to kiss you. I know. It just, ooh. But anyway, go through it. It's worth it. In fact, we might find there are a bunch of moms that end up at the hospital with heart attacks. But, um, <laughs> but, but what will happen is you've acknowledged to your mom that you want your mom for more than what she gives you. You just want to be with her. You just want to be with her. And then you don't have to do that again for another full year, okay? But... <laughs> like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I come to a point in my relationship with God that it's not about what I get from you, but I just love being with you. I just delight in you. Now, something happens in this passage that kind of threw me off the first time I read it, and it's thrown me off a little bit ever since, and then, and then I finally get it. Look at those first three words of verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. That is not what I expect to find there. This is one way to read the Bible. What did you expect to see? You know what I expected to see? You have calmed and quieted my soul. I depend on you, God, to calm and quiet me. I can't do it myself. 
I'm not a good, great self-soother. I, God, you calm, you quiet me. But what does he say? He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. It's not what I expected to find. I, not, I did not expect him to say, I have done this. I did the hard work of calming and quieting my soul. And I, I think a piece of what David reveals here is how our relationship with God works. We are completely dependent on God, but that doesn't mean we lay in the middle of the road and say, God, you do everything. I'm just going to lay here until you do it. There's this cooperative relationship going with God that he empowers me to do what he wants me to do and there's some work that I have to do in cooperation with him. So a piece of calming and quieting isn't just saying, God, you need to stop the churn within me, but God, there's some practices I'm going to take on that will help to stop the churn, the churn that comes from pride and arrogance and ambition or whatever it is in your life that is leading to that. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I've cultivated a quiet heart. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we calm our souls and cultivate that quieted heart? I think what needs to happen is we need to enter into a series of quieting practices. We need some practices in our life that just bring some calm and peace and the recognition of God in our lives. We need some quieting practices. I'm not going to suggest a list of practices today, and here's why. Because the ones that work for me may not work for you. One of my quieting practices is a long walk. I like walking four or five miles. I love just being out walking. I like to look at nature. It doesn't matter if it's snowing or raining or whatever is going on. I love looking at the eagles. I love looking at the bluebells out there right now. I like looking to see if any mushrooms are popping up. I'm, I'm looking all the time, and some of you are going, that is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You, you, you know, you're like, no way I'm doing that. That's nuts. There's something that works for you. There's something that calms and quiets your soul that honestly I'd say you're nuts. So what is it? What, what, how do we calm and quiet our souls? What's the process? What I'm going to do is give you some guidelines for calming and quieting practices. The first is that I would say it needs to be uniquely spiritual. Again, this isn't, I need to calm and quiet my soul. Southwest, where can I go today? That's, it's not just about taking a vacation. But here's the thing. It may be a vacation that somehow draws your attention to God. It may be that you're actually going to program in that time some time where you're going to say, I'm going to intentionally work on just being quiet with God in this. For most of us, our, our vacations are far from quiet. It's running from one event to the next to the next. Is there a way to work in some time to just say, God, this is, this is uniquely time for you, time between you and me. So it needs to be uniquely spiritual. By that, I'm not saying everything needs to be read your Bible and pray. But there's some uniquely spiritual practices that we can take on. I was asking my guy group the other day, you know, what do you do to calm and quiet your souls? One guy said, I cook. You know, I think, I think cooking can be a uniquely spiritual practice. If you're viewing it, not just the, through the point of creativity, but also the fact that you're getting the opportunity to serve other people, there can be a uniquely spiritual practice there. Something that's unusual, that, that causes some, some peace to come to that churning heart. It also needs to combat sinful tendencies. What was David's quieting all about? Calming the pride, calming the arrogance, calming the ambition. 
And so I'm taking on some practices that fight against the thing that's got me by the throat right now, the sin that's got me by the throat and doesn't seem to want to let go. It helps if they are rhythmic and consistent. You're doing them on a regular basis. Uh, Rhythmic, one of the things that's happened for me this year that I've not liked because of all the COVID stuff, the things I normally do to get away, the retreats I go on, they've been canceled. They haven't happened. And to be honest, I, I can feel within me that that rhythm is broken and that it needs to be restored. And it's going to be restored in about a month where we start the rhythms of some of those practices that bring calming and quieting. So maybe an annual rhythm, maybe monthly or seasonal, maybe weekly. And I think some things that are daily, some things that you know. And by daily, I know nobody's seven-day daily, but you know, five-day daily or whatever it is that you're doing regularly to bring yourself into a quieting place. And the practices should involve disconnecting and withdrawal, solitude and silence, getting away from the noise. One of the great practices way too many people in our life could take on right now is to simply turn this thing off and say, I'm not looking at it for the next hour. I would love to see more and more of you leave your phone in the car when you come to church. But what if? Really? Do you remember when it used to hang on our wall and you had to go home and beep? Hi, we had an emergency. Can you come help us? Okay. Quiet your soul. You're all churned up because you're staring at that stupid Twitter feed all the time. You're all churned up. You don't even know it. We know it. We talk to you. You're all churned up. Put it away. Just disconnect. <gasps> I don't know. We'll, we'll get you a replacement, a little block of wood that you can carry around. And... Oh, it's, it's wood. <laughs> disconnect, withdraw. Solitude, silence, quieting practices. One of the great quieting practices of Jesus, Jesus didn't come to just die to pay for our sins. He came to show us how to live a perfect human life. How does humanity work when it's operating on all cylinders? Do you know how he operated on all cylinders? He withdrew. He pulled away. He got away from what was going on, even if only for a little while. I love this. I found it yesterday. And this person goes through six different times that Jesus entered into solitude. He withdrew in order that, in order that he might make better decisions, in order that he might just connect with God better. The word that comes out of Psalm 131 is the word humility. God is calling on us to develop a heart of humility. And just like pride drives us from God, I mean, pride, pride is kind of the queen mother of sins, right? It, 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 it drove Satan from heaven. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, Solomon says. Humility. Humility is the entryway to a relationship with God. Childlike humility. Now, I'm not crazy about the dictionary definition of humility, a modest or low view of one's own importance. That almost sounds like the opposite of I'm proud of myself, I'm just such a scumbag. No, uh, humility is how I see me in light of God in the light of others. What's my view of me in light of God and in light of the people around me? And am I in a proper relationship with God and others in light of that humility. One commentator I read this past week said this about this psalm. 
Genuine faith is demonstrated by a calm confidence in the Lord and not in self-ambition. That's what he's got going here. Everything with him had been about self-ambition, and now instead he had learned to simply rest in and delight in God. Let me give you two other ideas before we, before we close. And one is, yesterday we sent you the link in the, in the update for the Dwell app. Listening to Scripture, just listening to Scripture can be a great quieting practice. To just turn it on and listen to it. They, they've actually done a little upgrade on it now that you can read along as you're listening. I love that. I was always having to have two apps going at the same time in order to look at it and listen to it. Psalm 131 took all of 30 seconds to listen to. You didn't even have to like hit double time. 30 seconds. You can listen to it. You can choose unique voices. You can choose your version. You can even choose background music. You can choose to extend the music for a little bit for a time of reflection. So for me, it played for 30 seconds. There was quiet for 30 seconds, and then it played again for 30 seconds. Five minutes of just listening to the same passage multiple times, quiet in the presence of God. Listen to Scripture. One other one, I think that if you're going to develop a great practice of quieting, Quieting involves gratitude. Quieting involves reflecting on the goodness of God and the good things he's doing in your life. Do you have literally a daily practice of reflecting on the things that are going on in your life that provide gratitude? Pride, arrogance, and ambition are not rooted in gratitude. They're not. They're, they're rooted in avarice. They're rooted in grabbing. They're rooted in wanting but when I can take time with thankfulness, whether it's, a, whether it's a consistent daily time of just reflective prayer with God that is only thank yous, no needs, no wants, just thank yous, or taking a, taking a journal and writing down three thank yous every day, cultivating gratitude cultivates peace and quiet and calm in our lives. Pursue both. That's normal. So I know the way this works. Y'all are looking very cooperative here in this room. And then you're going to leave here and hit the gas and go 85 to 55 and get stopped by a cop. But anyway, um, we're going to do a little slowing right now. So for communion, we're going to start with a, with a video that just talks about the state of our souls and being quiet in the presence of God. And you don't move during this. You just watch and listen and drink it in. All of a minute and a half. I know it'll feel like eternity a minute and a half. And then a song will start to play that Shelley introduced me to several months ago that I play again and again and again that just reflects on the quiet that we need in our lives. And during that song of quiet, go to either the tables at the front or the tables at the back for communion. Gluten-free is on the side stages, sides of the stage as well as on the right side as you come into the room. So you have gluten-free options as well. But while that song is playing, go to communion, receive communion, and receive the peace that you can only have through a relationship with God. Lord Jesus Christ, we need to learn on calming and quieting our souls. There is peace that you give us, peace that is beyond understanding, but there is also work for us to do to push away the pride and the arrogance and the ambition, whatever sin it is that's got a grip on us, and to instead enter into a state of, of satisfaction and delight in you. Help us to walk more quietly and calmed, not all stirred up, not churning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Two things before we go. The first is, I, I, I had this thought while we were here. That song, um, wonder is one of the ways to calm our hearts. Just wonder. It just taking in the vastness and the awesomeness of all that God has done. Again, if this is about humility, hard to be proud when you're staring at the sky. The vastness of the sky and saying, where do I fit in all of this? Speck. So I think we're going to try something in Green Lake. And take all hundred of us out to the middle of the prairie and we're going to lay down on the ground at about 10 o'clock at night and we're just going to stare at the sky. Can't wait. But then the other piece in all this that I realized throughout the week is that, you know, when it comes to this particular passage, for as long as I've known it, there's a piece in me lately that's just been a monstrous hypocrite. Because I somehow think that I can, I can walk through a, a constant churn of life and because the churn is so strong, I don't have time for the practices that bring quiet. Sitting with a group of friends this week, and we're all talking about where we are in life, and honestly, everybody was in a vomitous churn. <laughs> it was just a mess. And the more I've thought about it throughout the week, I'm like, I know why, for me at least. All of my quieting practices have gone by the wayside in order to just do. Because there's been a lot to do. And so reclaiming those practices, uh, it's time, man. It's time for me. So I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll join me. It's been a year that we can make an excuse. Too much going on. Too much going on. Uh, it's time. It's time again to grab normal, to get back into the rhythms that bring quiet to our heart. Figure out what it is. Start working it. Start working it. See you Mother's Day. Get those Scoopy coupons. See ya.